Stay tuned in just a moment for Citizen You. listeners. This is Citizen U, a forum for exploring local government and related issues in depth to increase your civic literacy and with that your ability to effectively engage in discussions and decisions affecting our communities. I'm your third Wednesday host, Mari Roden. Supervisor Dan Jurdy hosts Citizen U on first Wednesdays. A friend of mine recently asked me if I knew why grocery stores and other big retailers uh, were giving out thick, heavy plastic bags when we have a statewide ban on plastic bags. My guess, I told her, was that retailers and their plastic manufacturer allies had found a loophole in the law against against the use of plastic bags by continuing to use them but making the bags thicker and heavier and labeling them reusable. Well, I was only partly correct. The real story behind these ubiquitous heavy plastic bags is actually more sinister. My guest today is Jordan Wells. She'll tell us the details behind the story, and she'll give us the broader picture of what's working and not working in the world of recycling generally. Jordan is the Director of Advocacy and Communications with the National Stewardship Action Council. Welcome, Jordan. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here with us today. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and about the National Stewardship Action Council and what you do there and what it has to do with recycling and, and plastics? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, I'm the Director of Advocacy and Communications. I'm also a registered lobbyist in California. And uh, the National Stewardship Action Council is a nonprofit organization that advocates for a circular and equitable economy in the United States. And a circular economy is one that moves away from the existing make-take-waste model that we have now. And it's based on three principles. We want to di- design out waste and pollution. We want to keep pr- products and materials in use. And we want to regenerate natural systems. Um, so, yeah, my organization advocates for producers to take more responsibility for their products at end of life, to improve um, recycling systems, to, um, you know, target hard-to-handle products, and to um, make sure that uh, there's truth in labeling for products so consumers can make the right decisions. Mm-hmm. Where is the National Stewardship Action Council located? Are you statewide or nationwide? Like We're nationwide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We uh, do a lot of our work here in California as the incubator, as we call it, because um, as many people say, as California goes, so goes the nation. So we prove the policy concept here, and then we take it across the country. And you're located in Sacramento, right? Yes, yes. Uh, calling in from my home here. Yeah, great. Okay. Work from home. Great. So back to the the opening uh, issue, Uh, you know, I'm sure my friend and I aren't the only ones who are wondering why we're seeing these big, thick plastic bags around when most of us thought that we had gotten rid of that, of plastic bags. So I think one one 
component is the difference between the thin single-use plastic bags and then the thicker, quote, reusable plastic bags. But maybe you could first tell us what California's single-use plastic ban uh, required of retailers in the first place. Yeah, so it, it did ban all the single-use thinner plastic bags, and then it required um, that retailers put a $0.10 minimum charge for recycled paper bags, for reusable plastic bags, and compostable bags. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned, you know, we're seeing these thicker plastic bags, these reusable bags, and the law requires that they must be made of 40% post-consumer recycled content, but it also required that um, they have to be recycled or collected in recycling curbside programs in a majority of majority of households, um, and that isn't happening because converting those these bags um, into new products is so cost prohibitive that recycles say that no markets exist for the material. Mm-hmm. So there's. There, there's a, a violation of the law then that the retailers are distributing these thick, heavy plastic bags when in actuality they aren't recyclable. Is that At correct? Curbside. At curbside. Exactly. Right. So what's being done? Um, I mean, I, I can hint that I, I found you and your organization because I was trying to find the answer to that. But I'd like you to be able to tell us what's, what's being done to, to try to, you know, curb this problem absolutely so uh, california created the statewide commission on recycling markets and curbside recycling which my um, boss heidi sanborn actually chairs and it's a volunteer commission comprised of 16 experts that represent local governments unions waste haulers and material management companies and nonprofits like mine that were appointed by the state to provide guidance to the legislature on how to improve our our recycling system. And so that commission saw this was a big problem and sent a letter to the attorney general and to CalRecycle, our state recycling agency, asking them to enforce on the illegal labeling of plastic bags, um, like we're discussing now. Great. And and have we heard back? Has has the commission heard back from the attorney general? What What's going on? Not the attorney general, but the director of Cal Recycle, Rachel Maki Wagner. She will be joining the commission uh, meeting on April 6th to discuss their concerns and respond to their inquiries. So um, you guys can find that information on the Cal Recycle website and their live broadcast um, for everyone to watch. Yeah, that's great. Um, so let's back up a little bit and talk about recycling generally in California um, and and the nation I suppose there's there's differences nationally and and statewide so every household has a blue bin that we use for recycling um, we put materials that we assume are recyclable into those bins can you talk about what happens to the materials after they get thrown in the blue bin and and yeah. and talk about also, you know, prior to 2017 and, and after and tell the story of there. Yeah, so, um, you know, when you put material in the blue bin, it's going to get sent to a, a sorting facility that, you know, um, has lots of equipment that determines what goes, you know, what can be recycled and what cannot. Um, the materials that can't would then go to a landfill. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, right now, um, there 
is a lot of mislabeling happening in the system so that things that display the chasing arrow symbol, you know, that consumers think should go into the blue bin are not actually recyclable in California. Um, so before uh, 2017, a lot of our um, recyclables were being exported to China, about 70% of the United States, and um, it was extremely contaminated. And so um, there was an Operation National Sword that was a policy initiative launched by the government of China, and it set strict contamination limits on the recyclable materials. Uh, Jordan, can I ask you? No, no, you're fine. I, I just wanted a little clarification about what does contamination mean? Um, yeah. So that's, you know, um, if you don't clean off your recyclables properly and, um, you know, they're they're soaked with food or not just that, but, you know, only, uh, you know, materials that aren't actually recyclable, like um, uh, um, things that might have had the chasing arrow symbol on it that, um, you know, are not made of a material that actually can be recycled. Um, so not, you know, pure recyclables that had a lot of, um, you know, food debris or um, other materials in there. Okay. Yeah. So go on with your story. I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, no problem. Um, and so, yeah, they, um, this, the National Sword created a significant log jam internationally for recycling systems. And it resulted in materials being piled up here at home and, and materials getting landfilled. But this was a much needed wake up call that has forced us to look at our own system and to ver- further develop our domestic recycling infrastructure. And so that we're not so dependent on our exports of materials to foreign countries. So were some of, I mean, how, how frequent was the dumping of materials in blue bins into the landfill? I mean, how long were consumers assuming that they were recycling materials when they were really going into the, into the landfill? Um, there was, uh, I, I, I can't give you an exact answer on that. I'm sorry. I'd have to, to think about that and look at the timeline a little bit. But, um, you know, for quite some time, consumers have been putting things in the blue bin that aren't actually getting recycled because it's able to have producers were able to put that chasing arrow symbol on it that made you think you were supposed to put it in and you were just doing what you thought was right. So that's why truth and labeling is so important. And my organization last year passed a bill Senate Bill 343 that said, no, producers, you cannot put that chasing arrow symbol on products and packaging unless they're actually recycled in California in 60% of the curbside programs. And beyond that, it says that you they have to be actually have a market and they're getting turned into something new. Mm-hmm. So this is something that I made international news and the rest of the country is looking at. Many states have actually already introduced it um, and the industry fought very hard against it but we were able to to come out on top that's great news when will that uh bill take effect or is it in effect um it it came into effect the beginning of this year but we had to give the producers an on-ramp in order to change their packaging so they have until july of 2025 to get their recycling rate up to 60 percent or remove the symbol and any recycling mislabeling i mean sorry misleading like recycle here or this is recyclable it's not just the symbol but anything that you know signifies this is recyclable so i think you said that that these items i'm talking specifically about the truth and labeling bill um i think you said it in 60 percent of what was it like jurisdictions or 60 percent of 
Yeah, curbside programs. Curbside so programs. So what I wanted to ask you about in that in particular is how much variation is there in, in curbside programs? Does it vary from county to county, jurisdiction to jurisdiction? Is there any effort to um, make those more consistent statewide? There is a lot of variation, um, especially when you look at urban and rural, too, because some you know, jurisdictions don't have access to curbside um, programs. Um, but, you know, with this, we'll see a lot more um, consistency because now, you know, we're going to see, um, you know, folks, I think, saying this actually shouldn't be in our system at all. We were taking it because we were, you know, trying to make it work, but this actually does not work because there's no markets for it because we have that second caveat in the bill. So it's going to, I think, uniform things much more so that, you know, it's it's hard for a consumer going from city to city or county to county and, and you know, you, you put something in your bin at home and then you go down, you know, down the coast and it's completely different. So we're hoping that this will provide a lot more uniform. Yeah, that would be great. So if you just tuned in, we're listening to Citizen U, and my guest today is Jordan Wells. She works for the National Stewardship Action Council. We're talking about plastics and recycling, and I'll open the phone lines um, in about 15 minutes. If you want to call in, the number is 895-2448. But right now we're going back to talking about recycling in general um and jordan was telling us about uh china uh how how it used to uh take our recycling and then the bottom fell out and we've we've had to figure out in california how to manage our our recycling locally um could you talk about uh I guess buyback centers. Um, buyback centers were those things that used to be common in the parking lots of grocery stores. And they were sort of the middle, middle people, um, of buying back and, and then, anyway, could you talk about buyback centers and their demise? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of buyback centers have um, closed down um, specifically to related to the, the bottle bill, which were, you know, they were buyback centers for bottle bill uh, materials, which is um, what you pay five and ten cents um, on, on for in California. But they also served as locations for other things. Um, but they 71 uh, percent of the state's um, convenience zones have no point of return. Um, and the problem is, is that the, the retailers that are required to participate are um, are failing to to participate because they can opt out with a fee. Um, so they exempt themselves from, from the responsibility, and this means that consumers do not have access to recycling. So they're paying for it, but they're not receiving the benefit. Um, many folks in the in this um, in this field could see this as a tax um, that consumers are being you know charged a fee but do not have access to, to recycling of their bottles and cans this is interesting um well locally it's a it's an issue um in the city of ukiah which is the county seat of mendocino county uh, we don't have any buyback centers and no stores are are accepting recyclables and we have a uh, the Ukiah Natural Foods Co-op, which is a very popular uh, grocery store here in Ukiah. Um, and they 
they are having to pay the fee. I think it would be interesting to to mention this that it, the fine for not having uh, being a buyback center uh, and accepting uh, redemption of glass and aluminum cans is a hundred dollars a day, and this adds up for a small local business. It, for for big grocers like Safeway and Albertsons, it's it's just a cost of doing business but for small businesses that are local this is a a huge you know a huge fine yeah yeah and you know i there's you know during the pandemic there was concerns about you know folks bringing in these bottles and cans that their mouths have been on and and you know bringing them into the store and a lot of um, stores just don't want to have that material come in but i've seen programs up in canada where they have a, a nice system it's out in the parking lot and it's automated and it's solar powered and and it's um you know folks can just drop in their their bottles and cans and then it's um you know it it um populates to their bank account in 24 hours so unfortunately a lot of people think that california has a best in class system for um the the bottle bill program but that's just simply not the case and um to be honest it's an extremely complicated program that very few people actually understand and every single year there are bills to fix the bottle bill in the legislature it needs a significant fix um the state is reportedly sitting on half a billion dollars in unclaimed deposits because people have nowhere to go get their deposits back so it's a significant problem we hear you we're trying to work on it um yeah yeah. So, where do the where do the fines go? The revenues collected by Cal Recycle, how big is their bank account? Do you have any idea what's being done with all the the revenue generated by the fines from not having buyback centers? Well, yeah. As I mentioned, there was a recent report that came out that said that. Uh, there's about a half a million billion dollars in unclaimed deposits and, and fees. And so, um, you know, that money could be spent on maybe supporting more redemption centers that folks can actually get their nickel and dime back. And, um, you know, there's there's probably many other things that that money can be spent on that needs to be appropriated. Yeah, the machines that you just mentioned that you saw in Canada, it would be it would make sense for CalRecycle to take some of that money and provide a few of those uh, in, you know, in rural Mendocino County, so people can can get their money back on their cans and bottles. Yeah, and then the store would just have to offer up some space in the parking lot, and then it'd be completely out of their store. Right, so, much needed. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I'm. Uh, we're open to taking calls, questions, and comments uh, on the subject of recycling. 707-895-2448. So in the absence of buyback centers, I guess people don't have any way to redeem their glass bottles and cans. Is that right? Where it's like you said, it just becomes a tax people pay. Yeah, I've heard people having to drive an hour. Uh, And, you know, for some people that's maybe worth it. Some people don't have access to a car and would have to rely on public transportation. So it's it's extremely inequitable and something that needs to be fixed as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. Well, we have um, calls coming in, so let's see what people have to say. Caller, you're on the air? Yes. Yes, go ahead. You have a question? Hi. I do. Thank you. I'm um, 
as a resident of Mendocino County, I've always wondered where our recycling goes, our blue bin recycling goes. And I've always been a little suspicious that it might not all be getting recycled. Yeah. Yeah, Jordan covered. Do you have a question? Jordan covered that, and she can she can uh, I, talk about that I again. Missed, mm-hmm. uh, I, I I missed the uh, I missed that part of the show. I'm sorry if it's no. redundant, but yeah, where does it go, and is it recycled? Sure. Thank yeah. you for your call. So a lot of times um, we do what we call wish cycling. So we put everything into the the blue bin because, you know, we think it has that chasing arrow symbol. So what the problem is, is there's a lot of mislabeling. And so not everything that has that symbol should go into the blue bin. So that's why a lot of materials are not getting recycled because they weren't supposed to be there in the first place. They're actually contaminating the system. Mm-hmm. Great. We have another call. We'll take it. Hello, caller. Can you turn your radio off? Yes. Hi. Um, so uh, looking at the, the chasing arrow, the recycle symbol, I looked it up, and I think it was on Solid Waste of Willett's uh, website. Uh, they, they, they state that, and this was a, a couple of months ago, but they state that, you know, there's numbers on those, in, that, in that triangle, and there's a one and a two. And I think they say that one and two are, are recyclable, then the three, four, five, sixes are not. And I've been going by that. I've been throwing the higher number ones in the trash and only recycle, you know, recycling the ones in the twos. Does she know the, know the, is that true? And what does she know about that? That's my question. Thank you very much for your question. We'll um, take your answer. Yeah, I would certainly um, follow the guidance of your local agency. Um, they know what best, what markets that, you know, they have different contracts with different folks. So everything's different throughout the state. Um, so I would certainly follow the, the guidance of your, your local agency. What is What do the different numbers mean, Jordan? Yeah, so that's actually the, the type of plastic. It's the resin type. Um, so... <laughs> Yeah, this is a whole different tangent, but essentially, um, yeah, that's the the number that the plastic manufacturers have to stamp on there in order for it to tell what type of plastic it is. So seven is other, which is a jumble of a bunch of different stuff. And essentially what the industry did is they went and they passed laws that required that they put that number inside the chasing arrows to purposefully confuse people. So that is why um, we have passed that law that is no longer going to have that 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 number in the chasing arrow symbol. It's going to be separate, and then you the chasing arrows will only be on there if it's actually able to be recycled. And that's the bill that just uh, passed. passed. Yeah, great. Yeah. Well, another call is coming in, so let's take it. Hi, caller. You have a question. I do. Um, I was wondering if there's any statistics on um, the buildup of trash in the community as recycling centers close down. If there's any, if she could speak to um, roadside trash or um, rural dumping, if if, um, there's any indication that that starts to become increasingly larger as recycling centers close down um, throughout the state. Thank you. Good question. Thank you. Yeah, unfortunately, I do not have the, that data for you, and I wouldn't want to make it up. So it's something I can research and, and get back to you. Right. Thanks. Um, 
So many countries and states in the United States are pursuing, well, and internationally, are pursuing what are called extended producer responsibility laws that address the problem of plastics ending up in landfills. Can you explain what extended producer responsibilities are, how they work? Absolutely. So it's a policy approach that's used all over the world. And what it is, is it requires a producer of a product to be responsible for what they put on the marketplace at the end of its useful life. So typically producers have to fund and operate a program um, to um, take back their product at end of life. So in California, we already have two um, programs, two laws like this. One is for mercury thermostats. So the the producers of mercury thermostats have to fund and operate the take-back program for them. And then in 2018, we passed um, the first in the nation law that said manufacturers of needles and medications hail back container for your used needles. And there's a program, uh, I guess, I don't know if it's statewide or or federal, but... um printer cartridges for laser laser printer cartridges can be recycled you know i can take it back to staples or uh, someplace oh, i must have forgotten about that one yeah yeah i well i was yeah um i know i do that i didn't know uh if that was just a statewide or national and then you mentioned um medicine um medical recycling and how important it is not for people not to dump their unused medications into the toilet it's i see it in movies and television and it's common people just pour it right into the toilet but uh, if, if you think about it that just goes right into the our waterways and and uh the treatment at at uh sewage treatment plants don't necessarily take out the the harmful effects do you have can you uh, elaborate on that a little bit yeah yeah and even the the needles when people you know improperly throw them in the the trash or recycling they they puncture um, solid waste workers especially on the sort lines and they have to go undergo lots of testing it's very you know an anxious experience for them um but i will say one thing that the program is not um, a recycling program for medications and needles because that's medical waste so it is being um, properly managed in the most environmentally friendly way possible um but yeah it's a, a significant problem that is really impacting our water systems mm-hmm. there's a program that's operated by the russian river watershed association which is an association of jurisdictions um up and down the the russian river watershed and mendocino county and the city of ukiah are members of the russian river watershed association and in the city of ukiah we we at least we used to have um medical waste uh, receptacle at the Ukiah Police Department. I'm not sure if that one's there anymore, but at the Ukiah Senior Center, I understand there's a place right now where you can return or, or at least bring your unused medicines and they get safely disposed. It's, it's a complex process because these disposal canisters have to be locked and controlled since, uh, some people <laughs> like to, like to, take unused unused medication so that has to it's a it's a controlled operation 
Oh, yeah. They're literally bear boxes. They're, we've had them in pharmacies and, you know, someone went into the pharmacy to, to, to rob the pharmacy and they walk right past the drug bin because it, it has a mixture of things. There's, there's, you know, ibuprofen. There's, you know, it's not just, it's not just, you know, opioids or whatever else. It's, it's a mixture. So, um, mm-hmm. they're very, very secure though. They're, they're bolted to the floor. They're, they're bear boxes. Yeah. Right. Right. Somebody uh, asked me about uh, batteries and battery recycling and, and uh, was telling me that batteries often get, get mixed up. There are different types of batteries that have different uh, capabilities of being recycled. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so this is a huge problem right now. Um, you know, b- batteries are banned from the trash and recycling in California. And what's happening is, is they're still making their way into them and they're... Um, causing fires in the garbage trucks and at the recycling facilities. So there's one facility in um, the Bay Area that had a very big fire and it cost millions of dollars in damage. But not only that is that they are at risk of losing their insurance coverage. They had to get a patchwork of different insurances. And so, you know, if our industry keeps having these fires and we're not able to be insured, that's a significant problem. So there's been attempts to pass it extended producer responsibility law for batteries um it failed in the legislature last year it's back again this year and that um is something that's also covered in a bill that hopefully we'll get to discuss is um one that we're working on for was for single-use vaping devices oh well let's talk about that in a moment i have another question well first let me reintroduce you um this is citizen you um we, this is a forum for exploring local government and related issues in depth to increase your civic literacy and your ability to effectively engage in decisions affecting our communities. I'm your guest, Mari Roden, and I'm speaking today with Jordan Wells. She is the director of advocacy and communications with the National Stewardship Action Council. And, uh, I wanted, um, so we were just talking about batteries, and um, another question that came up about recycling was uh, pressure-treated wood. Do you have? Do you know anything about pressure-treated wood and what's happening with that? To be quite frank, I do not. There's so many different, you know, parts of waste, and that is one that I have not. Um, spent a lot of time exploring mm-hmm. there was a bill that um dealt with it this past year in the legislature i can't remember if it was vetoed or not i'd have to look into it mm-hmm. um but it is a big problem great all right well, well um the phone lines are open the phone number is 707-895-2448 in the meantime i i know that the national stewardship action council is working on some other important bills would you like to talk about any of those? Oh, yes. I'd love to. So um, we are sponsoring a Assembly Bill 1690. This is by Assemblymember Luce Rivas. And what it would do, it, was, it would ban um, single-use cigarette filters, the little tips on the, the cigarillos that are white that you see littered all over the beaches and on the streets, and then single-use vaping devices. So um, for the cigarette filters, they actually do not protect public health, even though that's what many people think. The American Cancer Society website even says that filters that reduce tar and nicotine, 
do not reduce the health risks from smoking. The, the plastic ones in particular do not, you're saying? Yeah, 98% of cigarette filters are made of plastic, so pretty much all of them, yeah, and they do not protect public health. Um, they make it a more enjoyable experience for smokers, and they allow it to inhale more deeply, but it does not protect you. Um, and so, you know, like I mentioned, they're made of plastic, so you're in, you're heating up and inhaling filaments of plastic deeper into your lungs. And since the advent of the filter, we've seen an increase in a cancer that's deeper in your lungs, um, aden- adenocarcinoma. Um, and so, you know, these filters that aren't health protective and are a huge, the most littered product on the planet, and they're plastic, releasing microplastics and chemicals into our, our waterways, into our ocean, um, is something that we don't need anymore. Um, and so that's a bill that we're, we're sponsoring this year. And the other side of it is the single-use vaping devices, which are, you know, disposable by design because you can't recharge them, but they're not supposed to go in the trash or recycling because they have the battery. There's no convenient take-back options. Hey, Jordan, um, let me in, just interrupt you for one. Oh, well, we had a call coming in, and I, I wanted to take the call. Um, callers, if you if you call in and, and Jordan's in the middle of explaining something, I'm just going to wait till Jordan's finished um, and then call back again. So go ahead. Please uh, talk about the, the vaping pens disposable. Yeah. Yeah. And so the single use, um, you know, we want them to be reusable and rechargeable. We don't want to get rid of them. We want people to have access to them. Um, but another thing that's interesting is that that the FDA did a ban on the flavor flavors to protect children that they're being marketed to. But it did not cover the single use vaping devices. It only covered the reusables. So we've seen an increase of a thousand percent in the use of the single use vaping devices among children, specifically high school students. Um, so this is a huge loophole that this bill would also cover. Um, unfortunately, the, the chair of the health committee, um, who is, represents this district, has concerns about the bill. So we just want to make sure that people know about it and, um, you know, can share with them if they support it, if they would like it to become law. This bill has been tried in the legislature four times before, specifically cigarette butts, um, and this would be the fifth time. So hopefully we'll be able to get it done this year. Um, you know, less than 9% of Californians smoke cigarettes, but cigarette butts comprise 34% of total litter in California. So 34% of total litter are cigarette butts? Yeah, so 90% of us are paying for the litter of 10%, less than 10% of, of Californians. So these laws that would, that would ban single use or disposable baking, vaping pens or, uh, f- cigarette butts, um, seem like a no brainer, especially, you know, in California. Can you talk a little bit about the, the industry lobbying and what, how and why it's so effective? Um, I mean, how is because they have to respond to the, the profits and, and their, you know, the, the company. Um, and, and it, it's, it's very, very heavy in the, in the science. You know, the science is, is on our side, fortunately. And um, there's many studies that show the cigarette filter is not health protective. Um, and so, you know, the, the studies that they're showing are, are, um, you know, flawed data. It's pulling, um, data from a, a, a totally different data set. But, um, you know, they're using any argument that they can to try and stop the bill, um, uh, because mm-hmm. they want to sell cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a call coming in, so let's take that. 
Hello, caller. You have a question? Um, let's see. Let me formulate this the question. Whew. Is it possible as human beings we can just all agree to say no to a few things instead of um, legislating compromise with, uh, uh, oh, the manufacturers of uh, these unrecyclable products, uh, these poisons. I am a tobacco addict. Um, I'm over 65. I started when I was 12 years old. People seem more than happy to uh, blame and throw away the smokers, even though they know it's, uh, most people know, I would think, that it's more addictive than heroin. Uh, heroin addicts can get help as, as long as they commit a crime and go to jail. Uh, the drug dealers are known to be criminals, um, but the tobacco manufacturers, all these other, all these other criminals, let's face it, are because they pay taxes, because they have stockholders, shareholders, many of which are the lawmakers. Uh, mm. Some things just need to be said no to. Yeah, and those and those companies that produce that stuff. They should be able to make zero profit, and any profits that they have made uh, for the last seven years should be spent, and I'm speaking specifically now of uh, tobacco, and I do smoke the kind with cotton filters, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I would need to be in a residential rehab program that reminds me that I am a valuable human being and how to take good care of myself and love myself and that I'm worthy of the love of my neighbors instead of being condemned and ostracized and blamed for the problem. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it, it, it's hard. Our system is, is attempting, uh, you know, your, your organization is attempting to change the laws. We're, we're all doing the best we can. We have some more calls coming in. Caller, you're on the air. Yes, uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I would like to go back to the, uh, the issue of batteries, and especially batteries in electric vehicles and hybrids. Uh, could you explain a little bit of what happens when that battery ends its useful life and where it goes and how it's processed and how successful all that is. And I'm going to, I'm going to hang up and listen on the radio. Thank you. That's a great question. We all want yeah, to switch to electric cars, but there are a lot of environmental problems, not only with the extraction of lithium and, uh, you know, creating the batteries, but then disposal as well. Yeah. And unfortunately I'm not an expert in um, vehicle batteries, but, um, yeah, the household batteries, especially going into the, the household trash and recycling, are a significant problem. Mm -hmm. So do you, do you know anything about uh, how automobile batteries are being disposed of or will be disposed of? Probably those early Prius batteries are beginning to... No. Yeah, no, that's not something we focus on, um, but it's something that I've I've heard things, but I don't want to mm -hmm. comment on the radio on what I've heard. <laughs> right, right. Well, back to the lobbying, I'm um, really curious about that. Um, you know, the advocacy that your organization does is countered by 
manufacturing lobbyists of, from the plastics industry, is it is it simply a matter of those those trade organizations funding the campaigns of of you know of legislators? How you know how are they able to wield so much influence um, over you know over our legislators on a topic that that overwhelmingly the public you know supports banning um the use of of plastic and and so on can you comment yeah. on their efforts yeah i mean um you know they have a lot of influence in the capital um you know what i would just encourage folks to do is, is to get educated and especially get to know your legislator and um you know there's there's websites where you can see who funds them and if you don't like who's funding them and, and you don't like the decisions they're made that might be based on who's funding them, maybe it's time to, you know, pursue a, a different legislator when the time comes at the ballot box. Um, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why they make decisions. and I can't speak to that, but I do know that the influence of, of money and politics in this country is something that is um, extremely discouraging and um, has a lot of influence. Right. So back to the vaping bill. Um can you can you um, elaborate on that again about where we are? I I want I know I had yeah some yeah. follow up questions on that. Yeah, so we um, we're gearing up to be heard in the Assembly Health Committee on the 29th of um, this month, and this is going to be a very um, you know big hearing for us. If it does not get out of the committee, then the bill is um, not going to continue moving, so it's going to be dead. Um, so we're really hopeful that we can get it out of the the Assembly Health Committee because you know this is a public health issue. The filters aren't protecting you; they could be. You know, science is showing that they could be hurting you. So, um, yeah, it's a big, big um, hearing coming up on the 29th. And we encourage you all to let your legislator know that you support this and that you want them to vote yes on it. And what is the bill again going to do? Is it- Yes, it would um, phase out the sale of single use um, vaping devices and then the, the cigarette filters and those tips on the little cigar cigarillos. The cigarette filters, product. even the cotton ones. Um, so federal law um, states that we cannot tell the manufacturers of cigarettes how to design their product, um, but 98% of the ones on the market are are made of plastic. And, um, and so their options for people will be to either roll their own cigarettes or to have unfiltered cigarettes, um, which are, will be available. 98% of, of cigarette filters are plastic? Yeah, they're not all plastic, but they are most of them are made from, um, yeah, they're made of they're made of plastic, and I can provide a, a study that that shows that. So um, even the ones know, that we see in gutters, you know, that that look like cotton, those are actually plastic. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that. Not a lot of people think that they're smoking out of a plastic filter, but you, but they are. Hmm. And so those are that's the the cause of these in, this increase in this particular type of cancer that you mentioned which is deeper yeah, and- yeah since the since the the changes in the design of the cigarette filter that's where they've seen that increase in the um the the type of cancer so we can you know correlate the two and that this is mm-hmm. why we're seeing an increase in mm-hmm. this is the change in the design of the filter mm-hmm. since great. the 1950s great well phone lines are open seven zero seven Eight nine five two four four eight, and a call is coming in right now. 
Thank you, caller. You're on the air. Great. Hey, um, I'm under the impression there might be some confusion. I think the uh, little cigarillos have plastic bite pieces and aren't regular cigarette filters made out of cellulose. Just looking for clarification. Thank you. Yeah, cellulose acetate is plastic. Um, another word for plastic, but the, um, the 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 bill would do the cigarette filters, the you know um, what's seen on cigarette cigarettes, and then the the separate from that is those plastic white tips on those mini cigars. Um, so it's cigarette filters, the the white tips on mini cigars, and then the single use vaping devices. And yeah, ninety eight percent of them are made of cellulose acetate, which is um, plastic. Great! Actually. Wow. Thank you for that. We have two more calls coming in. Let's take take one. Hello, caller. You're on the air. Hello. I keep hearing about people, mostly out of the U.S., that have found some pretty amazing ways to use their recycling that's not recyclable. I'm wondering, are you familiar with any programs, especially in California, that um, assist communities in doing that sort of thing, finding you know, creative ways to use their recycling? Thank you. That's a great question. Yeah, there are some great community groups. I, Of course, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, but there are that, you know, promote upcycling and create products um, from recycled materials. So instead of, you know, um, you know, creating something new out of it. Yes, there certainly are. I believe... Um, there's a couple of stores that I can't even think of right now, but there there definitely are, and I would imagine up in your beautiful community up there that there there has to be at least one. Well, they're beautiful art projects, I can you yeah. know, and and jewelry and really creative things that people are doing to upcycle uh, plastics. Um, well, the phone lines are oh well, they're not open anymore. Just a moment. Hi, caller, you're on the air. Hello. Um- Yes, I've been uh, wondering for years if there will ever be a um, deposit, recycle deposit on wine bottles. Thank you. Good question. We would love that. (laughs) The only problem is we have right now um, is that we don't necessarily want to add too many more things to the program until we have enough places for people to return them and get their money back we don't want to add on to this existing problem and have more people you know getting charged and not being able to get their funds back so definitely the wines do need to be included at some point but we definitely we need to increase redemption locations mm-hmm. as well yeah that's a great question so what other uh bills is national stewardship action council working on yeah so we have an- another bill that we're sponsoring it's assembly bill 2208 and it's by assembly member ash kalra and this bill would phase out the sale of mercury containing fluorescent lighting um and you know over 75 percent of fluorescent lamps right now are not disposed of properly and this is a serious problem because mercury is one of the top 10 most problematic chemicals for public health and it is a potent neurotoxin so now that we have this new alternative, which is LEDs, they don't contain any mercury. They use ha- approximately half the amount of like electricity as fluorescence to produce the same amount of light, and they last two to three times longer than fluorescent lamps. 
Um, and so the bill would have it. There's those compact ones that are mainly that you twist into your light bulb. Um, those would be phased out by 2024. Um, we have a shorter timeline for that one in specific because there are, the LEDs are already cheaper in price. And so for the linear ones that are um, the longer the longer tubes, that, those will be phased out by 2025 because um, the LEDs are still currently a little bit more expensive in price, and we we don't want there to be any unintended consequences or you know you know hurting disadvantaged communities. So we're going to give a little bit more time for that price point to come down, and um, those would be phased out in 2025. Great, good good bill. Here's another call. Hello, caller, you're on the air. Yeah, I had a question. You mentioned the uh, compact fluorescent bulbs, and I, I just tuned into your show, so you may have addressed this already, but it used to be when we were buying those, we could take them back to the store that we bought them from, and then, you know, a couple of years ago, the store stopped taking them, and they said, just deal with it yourself, and I wondered um, what we're actually supposed to do with them. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I, you know, there definitely should be taken to the, your household hazardous waste um, facility because those are the folks that are trained to, to deal with this. We There were previously, and there might still be take back options at retailers. I think probably the retailers decided that this was a bigger risk for their employees than they were, they're willing to take on. Um, because, you know, if one of those tubes breaks, it's a, it's a significant exposure risk to anyone around. Um, so really, you know, we want to make sure that those are being taken back to the household hazardous waste facility where those folks are properly trained to manage those and handle them every day. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, we have time for one more call, uh, but the phone lines are empty. If you want to ask a question of Jordan Wells, uh, the number is 707-895-2448. Any other uh, bills, Jordan, that you want to mention? I I wanted to ask you, is Jim Wood, who's our representative assembly member, um, the author of the the vaping? um, No. We would love for him to be um, a co-author. Um, he's chair of the, the health committee that the bill is going to be heard in um, on oh, the 29th. I see. So, yeah. great. Okay. Yeah, we love his support to be able to um, progress the bill further and hopefully, you know, add on as a as a author at some point would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. We do have a call. Hello, caller. You're on the air. Yeah, I live in Willits, and I just wanted to say that there is a buyback center at the Willits uh, transfer station. Thank you for mentioning that. that, I don't know of any others, but uh, uh, maybe people can bring their things up to Willits and get redemption on their glass and and other recyclables. Here's another call. Caller, you're on the air? Hi there. I just tuned in a few minutes ago. Sorry if you already covered this, but I look around at plastic that I get, you know, your toilet paper rolls are wrapped in it, and, you know, almost everything has got plastic somehow, and I I am torn about what to do. I don't want it to, you know, proliferate. What's the best way to dispose of plastic? Yeah. 
I agree. I, I feel the same way, um, in going shopping and trying to look for, for items that don't have that kind of plastic packaging. What do you have to say about that, Jordan? Yeah. So for the, the, the plastic that you described wrapped around your, your toilet paper, that, you know, kind of filmy plastic, we do not want that in the recycling bin. That is trash. Um, it just gets clogged up in the, the system and it, it, it damages the, the equipment. Um, so yeah, bags, you know, film like that, we don't want. It's more of, you know, the harder plastic, um, even the clamshells we want that you get your berries in, but not not bags specifically. Mm. Uh, yeah, it just messes up the machinery. Okay, great. I think we can take one more quick question, and then we'll have to finish up. Caller, quickly, you're on the air. You have just a moment. Uh, we're going to switch. Let's see. Caller, you're on the air. Uh, yes, uh, I, you have an excellent uh, guest there. Uh, on the subject of uh, electric car batteries, I have some information. Uh, there is a new company called Redwood Materials, which is an odd name, but that's the name of the company. It's founded by the co-founder of Tesla, who left Tesla and decided to start his own company, and their focus is recycling uh, lithium-ion car batteries from uh, from Tesla's and other cars. It, the fellow's name is J.B. Strawbell. He's very well known in the electric car field. He was a principal designer of the Tesla. Great. So there is, there's it, something in the works. Redwood and, what? Uh, was it called Redwood? Redwood Red- Materials. Materials. Great. And it, there, mm-hmm. There's no stock offering yet. There's no initial, uh, initial price uh, offering, you know, the there's no stock available yet, but it is a company that is uh, not vaporware. It's definitely being done, and uh, it sounds like a very serious and effective approach to dealing with that uh, looming problem. Wow. Thank you, Caller, for sharing that news with us. That's good to hear. Redwood Materials. Yeah. So we'll have to, to wind up the show now. I want to um, ask Jordan uh, at this point. Uh, if you have any closing comments and how people could reach you uh, and the National Stewardship Action Council if they would like to be in touch. Yeah, absolutely. So if I could just leave you with um, anything, I would ask that, you know, you call and email your legislators about the issues that you care about and to vote with your dollars. Um, you know, the, the biggest impact that you can make is not purchasing a product that you think is, you know, going to not impact the, the planet in a negative way. Um, and to get in touch with us, uh, you can visit our website. It's www.nsaction.us. And NS is short for National Stewardship. Great. Thanks again, Jordan, for being my guest this morning. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to Citizen U. Stay tuned next for Interlude with Patrick Gomes. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.